everyone, Josh Norris here. Welcome back to the most important podcast in the universe. That is the Roto World Football Podcast. I need to thank our podcast producer, Josh Norris, for helping us out with this episode. Uh, by the way, on Sunday, we have Roto World Live, which allows us to help you set an optimal lineup. Uh, Evan Silva, Roto Pat, Ray Summerlin will join us on the phone with Rich Rebar and myself, helping you for 45 minutes. Again, that's noon Eastern streaming on the Roto World Facebook page and also at NBCSports.com. Um, you can check out Pat's rankings, and I'll get to Pat later on this episode. But right now, I have the author of the matchups column over at Roto World, and that is Evan Silva. Evan, when did you become a wine drinker? <laughs> I don't know. There, there was a rumor that it gives you a bad hangover, but that does not hit me. Like, if you drink, like, vodka or whiskey, that just crushes me. Like, in terms of, like, the next day, I'll just ruin my next day. Mm-hmm. But if you get, like, some light wine and you have just, like, a glass or two per night, I've, I've also heard that it's good for your heart. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I've been working out a lot. And um, I, I need treating to yourself. better. You're treating yourself. better. But, but I, yeah, I mean, I'm getting old, man. And, and these first few weeks with no buys are just so stressful. I mean... And now we don't have we don't have buys anymore in week four. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be another week of sixteen game <laughs> slate. Just it, so much to concern yourself with. I mean, look, it's it's fun, it's a challenge. I'm not complaining about my job. I love my job, but it is it's a lot to be concerned about. Uh, so I'm excited. You know, I, I just I can't wait for the buys to come. Yeah. I really just. Every day, I think, I can't wait for the buys to come. It's, it's a lot of football to watch. Uh, let's get into some of the most important, in my opinion, players in your matchups column this week. I want to get to the narrative of this Ty Montgomery news that the Packers have said that they feel like they've worked him too hard in the first two games. We hate hearing stuff like this. One, Evan, do you buy it? And two, if you do or if you don't, what impact do you think that has in the game this week against Cincinnati when the Packers are favored by almost 10 points? Right. So there are a number of things that we look for, just characteristics, you know, data points that we look for when we are trying to evaluate good running back plays. And, I mean, I've gone back and done research on this, and TJ Hernandez at 4 for 4 Uh, Football has gone back and done research on this. And one of the most basic things that we look for are running backs who are home favorites. And the Packers right now are home favorites by more than a touchdown. And so their running back is in a very good position. Um, Ty Montgomery, uh, one of the one of the ways that he can really hurt you, of course, is because, you know, because of his receiving ability, his receiving background. And that's why the Packers have found it very difficult for, to pull him off the field so far is because he has so much value to, to them. You know, it's not a situation like the Eagles where they can't even play LeGarrette Blunt because he's a tell to the defense what is coming. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't even play him. Right. Look, there are teams with great quarterbacks that, that can use, you know, that can use running back rotations that do tell what is coming because they have great quarterbacks and it doesn't matter. Like, they're going to have a good offense no matter what. And the Packers are somewhat like that, but the Packers also want to be very, very diverse. Ty Montgomery is a converted receiver. They've been using him like David Johnson. I'm sure that he's not going to play like 
98% of the snaps the rest of the way, Yeah, you know, because no one can even hold up on that. Um, and, but, but then look down their depth chart. They don't have really anything else. I think we both like the, the fifth round kid, uh, Aaron Jones out of TCU. He's a talented player. He has not moved forward on the depth chart. The number two guy has been Jamal Williams. He has 29 carries in preseason and regular season. He has yet to gain over six yards. Not a good athlete. You know, when I watched him on BYU tape, I thought he was just a step slow for the NFL. I understood he was a good college back, but I think you have to have a little bit more burst than what he brought to the table. He can pass block, though. But so far, pass blocking has been – Ty Montgomery has turned a weakness into a strength, and that's not something that we see very often, is it? Rarely, rarely, so, rarely, yeah. rarely. Almost never. I mean, almost never. And Ty Montgomery has done that. He's a, he's a tough dude, man. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a tough, tough dude. And he was always uh, a then, manufactured touch player at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> like, they always got the ball in his hands quickly on screens and stuff. But yep. it's a totally different game, you know, lining up in the backfield. I mean, it, there's a reason why Cordero Patterson hasn't played running back. There's a reason why, I mean, more than size, Tavon Austin hasn't played running back specifically. And for Ty Montgomery to make that transition, it's, it's amazing. Yep, and then uh, so so their running back depth chart behind Ty Montgomery is all rookies, all day three rookies. So are they going to try to work in guys a little bit more? Probably, because that's probably in their best interest. It's probably in Ty Montgomery's best interest because dude cannot play 98% of the snaps. No running back can. Not even Le'Veon Bell. You know, he was at like 90% of the snaps. He's going to lose some snaps going forward. But Ty Montgomery is a top five RB1 every single week, and that is – definitely the case this week against the Bengals who haven't been great in run defense uh they get crushed by uh receiving backs uh last year they allowed the third most receptions to opposing running backs uh so Ty Montgomery checks literally every box this week as a fantasy play and we are going to continue to talk about him every single week because I still think he's underrated let's go to the other side of the ball for the Bengals that is their top wide receiver in A.J. Green. Um, A.J. Green was outspoken when he's not often. And after that, the Bengals let go of their offensive coordinator. What do you have in mind for A.J. Green this week against a Packers secondary that might be improving in some spots? I think Kevin King has looked decent at times and promising. But, I mean, A.J. Green is a top three or four receiver in the NFL. Yeah, um, I think he's a squeaky wheel. And um, I think that Ernie Zampezi, or not Ernie Zampezi, that's that's his dad, uh, Ken Zampezi, does not get fired if A.J. Green doesn't speak out. Now they're going to face uh, on the road in a situation where they're probably going to have elevated pass volume because they are over-touchdown dogs on the road. Uh, They're going to face a pretty weak pass defense uh, that got lit up by the Falcons last week. Uh, Didn't really get tested by Russell Wilson in week one because Russell Wilson just had no time. But now they're going on the road into a situation where they need to feed their best players. And they have the new OC and he's the quarterback, you know, he's the converted quarterbacks coach. You know, he, he should be very familiar with Andy Dalton after spending the entire off season with him. And um, if you look at AJ Green's road splits, okay. So home road splits, I think they can be kind of dicey, especially because they, they can, be very volatile year to year. Like um, Tevin Coleman was better on at, at home uh, as a rookie. He was crazy on the road last year. Um, you know, Doug Baldwin for a while was better on the road. 
last couple of years he's been better at home. You know, it's just it's it's all variance. With AJ Green, we he was drafted in 2011. Okay, he's been in this is his what's like sixth or seventh NFL season, and in a six or seven NFL six or seven year sample size, this dude averages 30 more yards per game in road games. And he average and he averages 0.65 touchdowns in road games compared to 0.47 touchdowns in home games. And that may not sound significant, like, you know, a, a 0.2 uh, difference, but, but it is, that, that's, that's a big deal when we're talking about bigger sample sizes. So AJ Green has consistently crushed on the road. He has a narrative working in his favor. He's facing a bad defense. He's bad pass defense. He's in a situation where his team's pass volume is likely to be elevated. You go back and look at Bill Lazor's history. He's been more of he, – he's skewed more to, toward the past, to, toward the past. So A.J. Green is another guy who pretty much checks every box. Now, the big concern is with the quarterback play and the emphasis this week, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport – is that they're going to try to get the ball out of Andy Dalton's hands more quickly, which is something that they should have been doing in the first couple of games because they should have been aware of their offensive line deficiencies. They were middle of the pack uh, in terms of you know ball speed, getting the ball out of Andy Dalton's hands. They're going to try to be quicker. They need to be, with their offensive line deficiencies, they need to be a top-five team in terms of speed, getting the ball out of their quarterback's hands, uh, and you can get the ball to A.J. Green quickly. I mean, he is a dynamic receiver who can get open early in the route. He can also win downfield, and he can set up things by by uh, racking up short catches and then eventually getting you over the top. I love A.J. Green in every form of fantasy this week. I think he is the preeminent hmm. buy-low target in season-long fantasy, and he's going to be on 100% of my daily fantasy rosters. Uh, before this podcast started, you said to me that Matthew Stafford is absolutely balling out, and now he gets to face Atlanta Falcons defense. However, Evan, with the 49 points expected over under, uh, the Lions are still home underdogs. Um, what do you think about playing Matthew Stafford in this lineup? Yeah, Matthew Stafford is a guy who I looked at before the season – and I thought that he was probably going to start slow. Okay, he faced the Cardinals in Week One, who perennially have a very good pass defense. He pretty much shredded them. And then in Week Two, on the road against the Giants, the Lions pretty much did whatever they wanted in the first half of that game, and then they eventually were able to take their foot off the gas and try to feed Amir Abdullah. And Abdullah did give them a great run, a 34-yard run in the second half. Um, but you know, that could have been a much bigger game for Matthew Stafford. And now we have a situation where Matthew Stafford is going up against the Falcons in what could be, you know, a a West coast sort of, sort of like basketball style game, like the Sacramento Kings against the Phoenix suns, um, you know, an up-tempo game. I mean, the lions are usually using a lot of no huddle. They wanted to be a no huddle team last year, but they were unable to because they couldn't trust their defense. And now I think they're in a place where they feel like they can trust their defense to some extent. Um, And they're not going to use that short pass ball control offense anymore. We have a big total. 
We have Matthew Stafford balling out. We have Vic Beasley gone due to a hamstring tear. He led the NFL in sacks last year, uh, Falcons uh, outside linebacker. Uh, and we have um, Matthew Stafford, who has been producing in bad matchups, and now he gets a really good matchup. And look at just the construct of the Lions offense right now. Okay, Golden Tate is healthy. We know he's really good. Um, Theo Riddick was not healthy for much of last season. He's healthy now. He can really hurt the Falcons because that's a team that's so so uh, vulnerable and susceptible to uh, running back receptions. Amir Abdullah, they didn't have him at all last year. He's healthy. Marvin Jones was great in the first couple games last year, and then he wasn't healthy. And then add in Kenny Galladay, who now is a player that you know defenses have to account for. He's six foot four, two hundred twenty pounds. He's a, a you know a guy who can make plays downfield and uh, produce in the red zone. And Eric Ebron, for now, is healthy. They have a lot of options in this offense. And uh, I think that Matthew Stafford uh, will continue to have success in this potential shootout against the Falcons inside the Ford Field Dome. Let's end on Amari Cooper, um, who is facing the Washington Redskins. Evan, I I look back earlier today and saw that the Redskins defense coordinator said that they would allow Josh Norman to travel uh, with top wide receivers. He said that during the summer that has not happened so far this season. Not at all. Right at all. So we don't expect it to happen against Amari Cooper on Sunday. So he will likely split time with Michael Crabtree opposite of Josh Norman. His first two games have been a tale of missed opportunities. I mean, this guy's got a ton of targets. He's got 18 targets. He has five more than Michael Crabtree through two games. He has five drops. So there's your there's your big differential. You mentioned the thing about Josh Norman. Josh Norman has not been used to shadow number one receivers whatsoever. Uh, Bashad Breland, like they really like Bashad Breland, and I think that they should. I mean, Bashad I, I like Breland him too. is a good cornerback. Yep. You know, you sometimes you have to zoom out and try to understand why teams do not shadow number one receivers with their number one cornerbacks. And it's because they respect the other cornerback on the other side. And they don't want to disrespect that dude. Bashar Breeland is good at football. He runs a four six two forty, but he's good. He's allowed 33 yards, no touchdowns through two games. And so they really have no incentive to start using Josh Norman to cover number one receivers because the, the guy on the other side is good. D- does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, of course it does. Now, um, can I ask you another yeah. possible concern about Amari? Of because I believe he only has three red zone touchdowns in his career, only one inside the 10 yard line. So Amari mm-hmm. is more so catches and yards and not as much of a touchdown threat unless it's outside oh, of the Oh, he's going to have to rip big plays. Right. He's going to have to rip big plays. But I think he can against Bashad Breeland, who I know I just talked up. <laughs> but Amari Cooper <laughs> runs four four two, and right. Bashad Breeland runs four six two, and that's a step. And, and if I can make this point, I think Amari is the type of receiver that gives Josh Norman trouble if they ever do match up. The guy that can create separation and sustain it. Because it's not like Josh Norman's mm-hmm. like that quick of a corner either. You know, he's long. I and think it's can a good point. Have make up speed as well. I think it's a good point. Amari Cooper has been primarily a receiver who matches up against right cornerbacks, and Bashad Breeland is all right cornerback right now. 
So this is not going to be a matchup of Josh Norman against Amari Cooper. This is going to be a matchup. I mean, the the, Red, the Redskins showed us their hand because they had two opportunities to use Josh Norman against a clear number one. They faced Alshon Jeffrey, and they faced Sammy Watkins in the first two games, and Josh Norman was at left cornerback on 95% of his snaps. They're not going to use Josh Norman against Amari Cooper. So we are going to get Amari Cooper against Bashad Breland. I, I think that that Amari Cooper can win this battle. Got it. And, that, and that's really what it comes down to. Look, look at this game, though, you know, again, zoom out. It has the highest total on the slate. There are going to be points scored. There are a lot of players that I like in this game. I mean, Jared Cook for the Raiders. I still think Crabtree's a fine play. He runs 30% of his routes in the slot. He should get work against Kendall Fuller, who's a whipping boy for fantasy. On the other side, Terrell Pryor. You know, I think Kirk Cousins bounces back. I think that Rob Kelly, if he's healthy, he can, he can, you know, he's always a threat for multiple touchdowns. Um, if Jordan Reed is healthy, he, he can ball. You know, Chris Thompson is only averaging six and a half touches per game, but if they get him matched up on those Raider line backers, you know, he, he can rip another big play. Uh, but I think that Amari Cooper stand, this is an Amari Cooper game. For info like that and more, you can check out Evan's matchups column. And also you can check out Evan on Sunday's episode of Roto World Live. Again, that's me and Rich Rebar for 45 minutes along with Evan, Ray, and Pat checking in along the way. Thanks a lot, Evan. And right after this, Roto Pat, and we get to pick on his rankings. All right, we're back with Patrick Darty, but before we get to him, I need to thank everyone who has subscribed, and if you haven't, take 5, 10, 15, 30 seconds to do so. I'm talking to you, Eric and Ethan and Elijah and Emmanuel and Eli, Evan, Edward, Ebony, all you people, uh, Aaron. It would just take a small, teeny bit of time as I just listed those names, uh, and again, it really helps us out. All right. Pat, we have not chatted before this phone conversation at all about these players because I'm going to pick on you as I usually do. Let's start with Russell Wilson, who I drafted in tons of leagues as like quarterback six, basically. You You're list a big him, George Fant believer. You, you list him as quarterback 18 this week. Now, it hasn't been smooth sailing through two weeks. And by the way, you can find Pat's rankings over at Rotorov.com. They're updated all the way until kickoff on Sunday. And he's only facing Russell Wilson, the Tennessee Titans. Now, I know he's a road dog, but man, Pat, this is unstartable territory you have him right now. I mean, I'm going all in on the fade. I mean, I would be lying if I said I felt great about it. But, I mean, this was an offense that was already dysfunctional on the road last year. I mean, averaged 16 points per game on the road last year. Multiple times was held under 10 points. And, you know, they went through seven quarters the season three of which were at home without scoring a touchdown before finally scoring a touchdown so the we had a team that was awful on the road last year look arguably even worse on the road this year look just as bad at home and we have an offensive line you know russell wilson's just running for his life per as rich reeves points out in the worksheet via pro football focus what russell wilson's been pressured on 43.6 percent of his snaps so far yes and And tom cable still has a job 
Yeah, and this just seems like a broken offense right now. And clearly, whenever there's a player as talented as Russell Wilson, especially against the Titans defense that's kind of bend, don't break. I mean, you, definitely an exploitable defense. I mean, there's a chance he goes off and gets his season on course. But just I just don't – I mean, compared to the, the questions of the guys around him, I find his questions the most concerning, and I just couldn't – I just, I just could not have him anywhere near the QB one ranks this week. So you, you don't buy into the fact that, how should I put this? Uh, that he is typically a slow starter. That like most of his top, what ten quarterback games or top six quarterback games, sorry, are from weeks three through sixteen. I don't not buy into it, I guess. But even if he were a slow starter, I think week three, especially when it's on the road, would probably uh, you know, have no problem fitting into his slow start narrative. So, and yeah, that's just a silly reason when you're making the rankings. And, you know, say Jimmy Graham's hurt, too. It's just like what is really going in his favor this week uh, you know, other than he's Russell Wilson, which is admittedly a somewhat compelling reason. But <laughs> I just like, you know, what, what reasons have you seen for optimism through two games? I, of watching I, I, I haven't seen any at all other than what we think of Russell Wilson. Even in fact, I think Russell Wilson is not playing like himself. So that just helps your thinking along the lines. All right, let's then go to Isaiah Crowell, who I also drafted quite a bit. Pat, you're just fixing my mistakes in this segment. Uh, You have Isaiah Crowell as running back 16. Now he's facing Indianapolis Colts. They're away favorites. The Browns are, but I mean, Isaiah Crowell, who has, I mean, I guess in week one, he got a touchdown. So he was worthy of a starting slot. Week two, definitely not. Is this just all a game script focused ranking here? Yeah, I mean, there's been a clear commitment to him through two games. I mean, he only had 10 carries in week one, but that was like about the max considering the game script situation. And so it's not like their commitment is wavering to him all week. He's been talking about the squeaky wheel. Coach Hugh Jackson's been talking about the squeaky wheel. So, yeah, like you said, it's the first game all season where the game script should probably really be in their favor. Um, They basically, I mean, they have to rely on their running game. I mean, their number one receiver has gone rogue. Uh, their new number one receiver is Rashard Higgins, who was on the practice squad last week. So this is this is a team that wants to be run committed, uh, right. has tried to be run committed, even in uh, negative game script situations. And they, just, they finally have a positive situation this week. And like, like I said, they've been talking openly about Grease and the, the squeaky wheel. And I just think that uh, yeah, Crowell is going to finally uh, return it, pay some dividends this week. Next, you have Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon at running back 26. So right outside this top 24 running back category. Uh, they are obviously away at the Packers and are huge underdogs by nine <laughs> points. So Pat, did I just miss something like is Joe Mixon playing now? Because obviously we all know that Jeremy Hill is bad, just bad at football, but it seems like they are still even preferring Giovanni Bernard to Joe Mixon. And I can't say I, I know everything about the, Bengals backfield I do still think that Joe Mixon is the most talented one but is the volume even going to be there for running back 26 you know usually when you ask me about a player I've got some numbers I can put forward or at least some numbers I can cherry pick um this one is admittedly 100% gut <laughs> I'm and... glad I can find and pinpoint that one when I look at your rankings over on rotoworld.com by the way this is 100% gut but the gut feeling is that you don't fire your offensive coordinator after week two if you're looking to maintain the status quo. And I have a hard time believing 
the directive to Bill Lazor. So I, I never know if that's how you pronounce Bill Lazor. I think last it's Lazor. name. I think it's Lazor. But I don't think Bill Lazor's directive is going to be, we're going to stay the course. We're going to keep pounding Jeremy Hill between the tackles, you know, especially <laughs> in Green Bay. It's going to be a low-scoring game in Green Bay. We want Jeremy Hill to just grind this game out. I think you know he's he's coming in to shake everything up, speed up the tempo, feature the playmakers. You know, they used a second round pick on Joe Mixon, and his stats are not great, but he has looked better than Jeremy Hill. And I have a hard time believing that after making that change and having ten days to game plan for this game, it's going to have anything other than the, a clear commitment to Joe Mixon at running back. So I think this is the week where they're going to really try to find out what they have in Joe Mixon. And 26 is high, but it's at a part of the board where so many questions, question marks. It's around like Mark Ingram, you know, I have no idea what's going on in that backfield. Frank Gore, you know, what's the upside with Frank Gore? Right. Jordan Howard, who's kind of going off the rails. Darren Sproles, James White, et cetera. So I'm just kind of, I'm betting on a much bigger workload than we've seen. And just, you know, the Bengals, trying to trying to see this through with Joe Mixon. Yeah, there's nothing more than sticking to the status quo than keep running Jeremy Hill up the middle <laughs> between an offensive line that is bad over and over and over again. Uh, my, my biggest uh, criticism here, Pat, is how far down you have Theoretic beyond Joe Mixon. Because I think Theoretic's matchup is like a great one this week. But you have to be a good football player usually wow. to be ranked high. <laughs> All right. All right. Theo Riddick, I mean, I feel like we've been trying to, you know, in standard leagues, like, wish cast, like, make him one of the pass-catching backs whose value, like, transcends, like, pure PPR. And it just, I mean, it has never happened. He never, ever scores touchdowns. And as a pass-catching back, he doesn't even average. He's never averaged, like, an amazing amount of yards per catch. It's always, like, five catches for 33 yards. And even in PPR, it's not that valuable. So it's just like, I, I feel like Theoretic is overrated even in PPR. So, yeah, all in on the fade. Wow. Uh, you said in order to be ranked highly, you have to be good at football players. So that transitions over to Kelvin Benjamin at wide receiver 13. That was smooth. Is he good? That, is he good? I, uh, I, hey, I, I'll, I'll let you decide what I meant by that. <laughs> I'll let you decide. Uh, you have him as wide receiver 13 against the New Orleans Saints. Obviously, the Panthers are six-point favorites and playing at home. So, Basically here, because I don't think Kelvin Benjamin has been close to wide receiver 13 so far this season. Are you just saying, hey, all Greg Olson's targets, hey, they go to Kelvin Benjamin? This is a, an, an, a, this is like a if not now, then when ranking for okay. Kelvin Benjamin. Because like you alluded to, you know, Greg Olson, and he's a target monster who is now out of the lineup. They're at home against a passing defense that has allowed 389 yards per game through two games. And, of course, one of those games was Tom Brady, but the other was Sam Bradford. And their new supposed rookie shutdown quarter, corner, Marshawn Lattimore dealing with concussion might not even play. So, I mean, what more could possibly be working in Kelvin Benjamin's favor this week? And I just think the circumstances are too good to have him any lower, but I would be lying if I said it was a fun ranking to make. And if you look at his next-gen stats, you can see that, like, almost all of his routes are inside breaking routes, and that's where Greg Olson (laughs) makes a lot of his cash as well. So, hey, I, I, I could see it happening. That, that's that's the whole reason I had him at 13. I've go. been – was pouring over Kelvin Benjamin's next-gen stats <laughs> all week. So, All right, Pat. Well, hopefully 
the world will still be in existence by the time this podcast rolls around next week. Um, and if not, enjoy your Sunday. Uh, and all of you can check out Pat's rankings again over at rotorworld.com. And by the way, Rotorworld Live is also this Sunday with Pat and Reeves and Ray and Evan and myself as well. 45 minutes setting your optimal lineup. And Pat's the MVP. See you, buddy. Thanks, Josh. That was the darkest podcast outro I've ever been a part of. I love it. (laughs) 